Good morning. Glad to see everybody here this morning. Uh, thank you for coming and welcome or in joining us in worship. Um, for those of you who may be a guest or don't know me, my name is Trevor. I'm pastor here at Round Oak, and I want to say personally that I'm glad to have each and every one of you here this morning as we praise and glorify our risen Savior. But again, as we get going, it's a beautiful day to worship this morning. And as we continue worship, after we had some songs of worship, we're going to continue that worship as we dive into His Word. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, and if you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to the book of John. We're going to continue our study through John. We're going to be looking at just a few verses, 16 through 21 is where we'll be this morning. And as you turn there, I want to remind you of something. Um, to to kind of keep in mind what's been happening, what we've been looking at. Because last week we finished up the little section there where we were feeding the 5,000. And as we looked at that, it was brought to the forefront that this was a big deal. It was an amazing miracle. Jesus was creating something out of, out of nothing. And there's a fancy word we use in theological circles for that. It's called ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. As he was handing out this bread, as they were doing this, it was just continuously creating something from nothing. And that's absolutely stunningly amazing. Again, they, they, they would have, or they should have at least been floored by this. That, that, that's, that's crazy. I mean, it really is. It's out of this world amazing. And when something big like this happens, for example, something in your life, a great vacation, right, maybe, right? You know, uh, something good happens, some kind of party, maybe even a disaster or a tragedy, anything, really. We tend to want time. Time to kind of let it soak in, to absorb. Kind of time to digest it a little bit, to dwell on it, to think about it, to figure out what really happened. To kind of look at the who, the what, the why, and all that kind of stuff. But as we'll see here, the disciples didn't get that opportunity. They went through this huge miracle. They watched Jesus, again, create thousands and thousands of pieces of bread and, and fish out of, out of nothing. And now they're going to have to have something else happen. They had another miracle right after this. But before we get, this, get into this too much, I want to to keep this in mind. I want you to think about this. When we read the Bible, namely the, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, all these events, everything that happened, everything in those Gospels, the miracles, all the disciples, all that they went through, it all happened in a three-year period. So when we look at it, when we're reading it, like just for example, uh, John, this is going to take us a while to get through. We've been through... We've been going through John since January, and we're just on the sixth chapter. So we're like, well, it takes a long time to kind of get through this stuff. Some of this stuff was boom, boom, boom. Everything that we read that the disciples went through in these four books happened in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, if it was me, and maybe you can relate to this, I have just a couple, two or three things happen big in, in a year, and I'm like, man, that was a crazy year. All the stuff went going down. It, it, it's, it's a lot. And I think we're so displaced from that sometimes. We forget certain things. We don't think about certain things. But the disciples went through a ton in a relatively short amount of time. I just think it's important to understand that. 
I can only imagine what they were thinking. As they were, just for example, they seen the bread and the fish just multiplied. And then now this, what we're going to be getting into. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. I hope you're there. I hope you found it. Join with me as I read aloud. Starting in verse 16, it says this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the Sea of Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. When they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. So as we look at this, this little section here, there's a lot going on. Now, when we start this, I want to remind you of something, or help you understand, maybe if you don't know. But this miracle, this walking on the water, it is also found in Matthew uh, chapter 14, and it's in Mark 6 as well. This account in John here is by far the least detailed, has the least detailed of any of the three other accounts of it. And there's one reason for that. One main reason that's blatantly obvious and very easy to understand why. Because John wrote this. This was the last gospel written. It was wrote, written after Matthew, after Mark, after Luke. He assumes that you already know it. When he wrote this, he was reminding people just that's why it's so short. Like, remember when this happened? Remember when all that? Yeah, okay, so we can keep going. He assumed that you already knew it. Not like you, but the people he was writing to. But now you in general, because again, it was the last one. He writes this in verse 17, Jesus had not come yet, implying that you already knew he was coming. If we look at that real quick, it just says this. Lost my thought. Okay, there it is. It said, he got into the boat and started across the Sea of Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not come to them yet. John is saying, hey, Remember this part? Yeah, Jesus isn't there yet because now it's getting dark. Remember the storm? That's what's going to happen. He's letting you know what's going on. So to make sure we get the full best picture of this, the best idea of what happens, we're going to jump back and forth just a little bit between the book of John here, and we're also going to use Mark and Matthew as a reference. So that way we can all stay on the same page. And again, it's good to have a bigger picture of stuff. We want to understand more. We want to learn more. We want to know more. And if you don't, you should. It's a good thing to want to understand the ideas and the concepts because, again, if when we take the four Gospels into congruence with each other, we get the best possible picture because there's not a single contradiction. They don't mess with each other. They actually build the full picture for us, and that's the point. But, again, we'll keep going. We'll look at that. As this starts, though, the disciples got into the boat. They were going to go across the Sea of Galilee. It was already night because John writes that it was dark, right? Pretty simple, straightforward, to the point. So as they were crossing, a storm came up. And I want to stop there for just a minute again because this is important as well. As we look at the other Gospels, as we look at Matthew and Mark, we can see that they did not just try to get out of town. This whole miracle didn't happen, something bad, so they tried to bolt. That, that's not at all what the case was. We can see that they didn't just try to flee they weren't fleeing from something or someone, but they were instructed to leave. 
They were told to go. As I say, we have to take it in congruence with the other two Gospels as well. But they were told to go. Jesus told them to get across the sea. Get into the boat and go. That was the command that Jesus gave. As in, they were obeying Jesus. Very important. You got to keep that one in mind. But they were obeying Jesus because he told them to do this. Jesus led them, commanded them to go into the dark, into the coming storm. Jesus knew the storm was coming. I mean, if his eyes were open, he'd obviously see that it was dark. He knew all these things. They were being obedient to Jesus by doing this. Just wrap your head around that and stay with me for just a minute. He told them something and they did it. He's being obedient, and yet what happens? The storm still came. The storm was still there. I want that to really sink in. Because this is another one of those times. Another case where we as Christians need to understand something. That following Christ is not easy. It's hard. We don't get what we want most of the time. We don't get it. We don't get the roles. We don't get the position. We don't get the job. We don't get the easy path. If I hope nobody leaves. But if you want that, the, the world's out there. If you want heaven now, if you want all their stuff now, you know how to get it. But I believe you're here because you don't care about that. Because we want to follow Jesus. Because we can take limited things now for an eternity with Christ. And that's something we have to remember. Even when we're super obedient, when Jesus says, go do this, you think, oh, I should have an easy way. He says, no, here's a storm. Right at you. We have to remember that. The storms don't come just when we're disobedient. And this is a perfect example. We have be able to see that. Trials come. We are inflicted with these storms. Often. Not just when we're disobedient, but also when we are obedient. When we're obedient. And that is a hard thing for us to get our heads around. And I'm just going to say it. We think like that because of two things. Selfishness and pride. We're selfish and we're prideful people. Even when we think we're not, we are. Look how not prideful I am. Right? I mean, that ruined ourselves really quick. I am super humble. Let me tell you about it. Right? It happens fast. And we don't realize, but we do. We pull back because we think ourselves are much bigger than we are. I don't need Jesus as much today because I know what's, I know what's going on. I have, a good, I have a good idea and I have a good grasp on everything right now. I don't need God's help. I'm very selfish. I'll get into more of that in just a minute. But we're selfish and we're prideful. We think of things like, I'm doing this, so I should get something back. And then, I'm going to do this for, for God, so I shouldn't have 
trials, or whatever word you want to put in that. And then we'll ask God, why am I still going through this? Honest question, you don't have to raise your hand, but seriously think about it. Have you ever asked God, and said, why am I going through this? If you have, you're not alone. You know, David talked about it in the Psalms. That's normal. But why? But do we want the question to be about us or about what God's doing through us? That's the difference. Because if it's about us, it's like, God, why am I going through this? I don't deserve this. Or if it's, God, why am I going through this? What are you trying to show me? There's a vast difference. There's a world of this difference, a huge chasm between those two ways of looking at that question. We start asking ourselves those things. Why do I have to this or that? Why don't I get to this or that? We can put anything we want in there. But it's just something to think about. A lesson that we can glean from this passage overall. That even when we are in complete obedience, which none of us never really are, but even if we are, the storms are still going to come. Where do we keep our eyes? Where do we keep our focus? But anyway, let's keep going. I do want to look at this passage kind of as a whole and take a few things from it. So we're going to look at a couple different things. If you're a note taker, you can kind of try to keep up. They're not like numbered or nothing, but we're going to look at a few things. So far we have this. It's so being obedient doesn't keep us from trials. We know that. What else can we get from this? Let's ask the question. Let's ask this about the disciples. What are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? What was making them scared? So if we look at this, now, if we take all three accounts, we start to get, again, that really good picture, because we should take them all together. That's important. First John writes here that they were about three or four miles out, which is really neat because you know how big the Sea of Galilee is. Anybody? It's roughly seven miles, if you don't know. They're right in the middle. Dead center in the middle. As far from any land as they could be. Now, real question, if you were going to be in a boat in the middle of the sea and a storm was coming, where would you not want to be? In the middle. Isn't it crazy how that stuff kind of works out the more you think about it? But anyway, I thought it was fun. I'm sure you know, I'm sure you've heard sermons about this before, but you know, storms come up, bad storms come quickly in the Sea of Galilee. The way that it's geolog or geography, it's how it's made. It, it, it's, storms come up quickly there, how stuff drafts. It, it comes up quick, it's fast, and it's hard. It can happen very quick, quickly. But we have to remember, these disciples, that they, they grew up on the water. This lake and sea, whatever, in, in specific. They were fishermen. They had seen this before. These storms, these things that happened, that wasn't a big deal. To them it was Tuesday, you know, nothing, nothing big. They've probably been through things just like this before. Realistically, they would have seen storms like this multiple times. Multiple times. So I'm going to venture a guess, and I'm going to say they weren't scared of the storm. I think I can back it up to it here in just a minute, but they weren't scared of the storm. The wind and the rain, the, the waves, all these things, that wasn't what they were afraid of. It wasn't what they were afraid of at all. And as often as I do, I want to say 
I want you to think about being there. I like to say that. I want you to think about actually being there. This is a big deal. Being in the place of these disciples. When we face things that we don't know a bit about, right? We don't know about certain things. What do we do? We pretend like we do. Then we we face things that we actually know some things about. Our, our ego gets a little more inflated. We say things like, I, I got this, right? You ever walked up to a project and you're not exactly sure, but you've done it once or twice, and you, I got this. Let's do this. That's First off, that's how a 30-minute job turns into a three-day ordeal. But, you know, we say things like, I got this. I've done this a thousand times. No problem. At that point, realistically, who are we relying on? Us. It's ourselves. Because it's not God, it's ourselves. We think that we're so good at something that we don't need it. My strength, right? My strength, my experience, my knowledge will get me through and I will win today because of how awesome and good I am. You may have never said it out loud, but our actions really do reveal certain things. And one thing that is revealed by our actions on a daily basis is that we, through our action, is saying, God, you can take a break because I can do this by myself. It sounds kind of bad when you say it out loud, right? But, but we do. We, we do that a lot. And that's why I like to tell people that. If, you, if you're thinking something, I, I like to say, say it out loud. Because when you actually hear it, it doesn't make any sense. Or actually, it sounds bad. We trust in our very limited understanding. And we gain a false sense of control. A false sense of power. And though, yes, it can and does work sometimes, I'm going to give it to sheer luck, but it's a very dangerous place to be. When we rely completely on ourselves, thinking about this, I got this kind of mentality. It's a very dangerous place to be. So if we look at it, it's not the wind, it's not the rain, it's not the storm. What are they afraid of? That still hasn't answered our question. So while all this was going on again, Jesus was out there walking on the water. And I love this concept. I don't know if anybody's ever heard this. I actually caught onto it before, but it's really cool. If you look at it, if you look back at Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it says that Jesus was watching them. That means he didn't just walk off the, the shore and, and try to run and catch up. Like, hey guys, I'm coming. He was actually out there walking and hanging out for a while, watching them what they were doing. He was watching them struggle to cross. different but they were struggling but that's not what they were afraid of right because they were men they could handle it they didn't need help all the while it got bad they probably needed help but they were men right they could handle it who here has that mentality right we can handle it we can handle it you know why? Because they understood the element that they were in. They were used to it. It was normal. When we go to work every Monday through Friday, or whatever your job schedule might be, when something happens, don't we have a little bit of an inflated ego thinking, well, I can get through this because I've done this before. It's my job. I get paid. I should be able to do this. I can handle it. 
I mean, it just happens that quick. That's human thinking. That's what we do. We're groomed our whole lives to think like that because we're supposed to. The world tells us all the time we're supposed to. We've got to be able to handle these things. They didn't need help because they've been in similar situations before. It was normal. Again, it was like a Tuesday to them. So what were they afraid of? When they finally saw Jesus walking on the water, they saw him and they thought it was a ghost. A ghost. They thought they were good. They thought they were good to go until something happened that they knew. They knew without a shadow of a doubt that they had no control over. Anybody else recognize that kind of situation? Does that seem familiar to anybody? That we think we have a good grasp on things until that grasp is shattered and then we're lost. They thought they were seeing something that shouldn't happen. Real quick, again here, getting into the mind of the, the disciples. There are always going to be things that we can't explain. I want you to think about what they would have been thinking. Because to be fair, it would have been, that would have been a little scary. That would have been freaky, right? You know that the water is more than so deep and somebody's walking on it. Not normal. Scary, right? I mean, we, that, not normal and scary are two things that you don't want, especially in, as we talked about, the middle of a huge sea. Not good. There's always going to be things we can't explain. And in this instance, stories of ghosts and other such things, even 2,000 years ago, they, they weren't new. There has always been, and there probably always will be, an attraction to certain things such as this because we want to know what happens to us after we die. And there's an attraction to that because obviously we haven't read this or don't believe this because we're told what happens to us after we die, but we want to see certain things because we don't believe that, so we think that there's ghosts, and now the disciples obviously thought that there was Ghosts, you know, scary things, ghouls. I just wanted to use the word ghouls. <clears throat> but, but again, we look at that. At that moment, they brought into the idea, into their mind, they brought up the concept that ghosts were real so they could try to explain something away. But anyway, and there was one of them, ghosts, walking on the water. So what were they afraid of? Simply put, they were afraid of what they didn't know. They were afraid of what they didn't understand. They were afraid of how amazing, even if we don't take it this direction, amazing Jesus is. Walking on water, again, that's... That's crazy. Has anybody ever tried that? <laughs> See, we, we, you, you, you try it every once in a while. I mean, it doesn't really work if you do it for a long, you know, it's going to stink. It's, 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 it's outrageous. They were afraid of what they didn't know. If you know it, if you've been through it, if you've seen it, you can handle it. Even scary things. But they've never seen this. Something new, something unknown. 
That's a whole different story. We can't, we can't grasp that one. We can't handle it. Essentially, we are scared of what we can't explain. We're scared of it. This is the best example I can think of, and I said it a few times. Johnny says it often. You can ask him you know, next time you see him. He's not here this morning. But talk to him and make sure he watches this on video. You know, Call him out a little bit. That'll be fun. But Johnny says it often. But we look to God in the valleys and the mountains. right? You've heard him say that. And a lot of you have probably said it. I know I have as well. But we look to God in the valley high, or the valley low, and the mountain high, and all this, right? No matter the situation, we keep our eyes on God. We trust God through it all. But often when we don't know a lot about something, right? The, the valley, we, we rely on Him more. But when we're up in the mountains, right? I got this. Where we are, where our situation, where our life is dictated where we are, it seems to push and pull us in certain directions. And we either say, God, I got this. You can take a day off. Or we say, God, I need your help because I don't know what's going on. We tend to not look to God, to not thank Him, to not rely on Him, to not trust on Him, but to rely on myself the more comfortable we are in a situation. If we do stuff on a daily basis, we tend to look to ourselves. <clears throat> but when things happen that we can't explain, we get scared, we panic, and then we finally admit that we need help. And if we get scared enough, we ask God to intervene. It's the very last thing that we do. But again, I want to be clear about this as possible. Very clear. No matter the situation, whether we know what's going on or not, whether we are obedient or disobedient, what changes everything? Jesus. Plain and simple. He says, don't be afraid here. It is I. And outside of Peter saying in, in Matthew's Gospel, outside of Peter saying, prove it, let me come out there with you, he literally changed everything on that spot. I mean, don't get me wrong, he did change Peter's mind too, but it takes the whole sinking thing. But he changed everything. He got into the boat. And they were what? Still freaking out? No. They were not afraid anymore. Jesus literally changed everything. The waves ceased. The wind calmed. And even Peter, we just talked about, who wanted to see it all. When he started to sink, he still knew who to call on. He said, make it about me for a minute. And then he started to think, he said, Lord, help me, I'm, I'm perishing. He knew who to call on because, again, Jesus changes everything. Everything. And just to be fair, before we move on, if somebody can walk on water, I'm going to give them more than five minutes of my attention. Jesus did so. And does anybody else know anybody else that's ever done that, walked across the sea? I think he's earning of our attention. But Jesus changes everything. Even when we are down, when we are in disobedience, and we're stuck in our disbelief, that does not change who Jesus is at all. Jesus is still there. 
Mark chapter 6 says that their hearts were hard. They had solved the miracle of the bread, the feeding of the 5,000. And again, they still didn't get it. Their hearts were hard. The disciples were not perfect. Us today, not perfect. Not even close. I mean, really. But the thing is, we serve a perfect Savior who can change everything. We can be washed by His blood, forgiven of our sins, and then be filled with His righteousness. Isn't that amazing that He can do all that? That The one who never sinned, the only sin that Jesus ever had was ours. And what did we get in return? A Savior who fills us with His righteousness. That's like the best trade-off ever. Can you? I mean, think about that. Get that one through your head. All of your, your filthiness, your dirtiness, <clears throat> the darkness, the hate, all the sin inside you, Jesus says, I'll take it. And instead of punishing you for it, making you work and training you to try to build yourself back up, He just says, here's my righteousness. So that you can go to the Father. I mean, that's it. That's all I have to do. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to train to kind of go over some obstacle course to make sure I'm good enough. I don't have to do anything. No. It's Jesus. Because He changes everything. If we look at this, we're on the fifth sign. The fifth of a billion signs. But He's saying, look who I am. No one else can do these things. Nobody. And I'm doing this for you. Jesus didn't just die for us. He did these things. He lived for us as well. Fulfilling everything that we never could. And then when we are filled with His righteousness, when we've been forgiven our sins, when he, we have been washed by His blood, when we are saved, redeemed, yeah, used all the words over and over. They're important. But when we are these things, we have the Holy Spirit inside us. And whether or not we know what's going on, whether or not we know what's going to happen later, we have hope in us. No matter what we face. And at that point, we can understand that we can know that we have to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And do you know why? Because no matter your situation, no matter how dark it is, no matter the storms that come in your life, Jesus changes everything. Everything. Father, again, we thank You for You, Lord. Jesus, we thank You that You have come down here for us, that You lived the life that is perfect, that You died for us in our place and took the punishment that, Lord, I know I deserved. We thank You so much that, though it was because our hearts were hard, but You showed us all the signs to show us who you really and truly are. Again, we thank you so much for all that you do. We thank you for your word that we can learn and teach and preach and listen to and have it change us as we're being molded and shaped into something that would be of purpose and use to you. Again, we thank you for all that you do, Lord, for who it is that you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.